0: Hey everybody, it's Josh Gunter with The Gathering Springfield. Thank you so much for joining me in today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this first season as we talk about the glorious return of Jesus Christ and the generation leading up to that day. In today's episode, we're going to continue to study what the apostles taught the early church about the return of Jesus and the days leading up to it. If you enjoy this podcast and want to know more about our ministry, you can send me an email at pastorjgunter at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-J-G-U-N-T-E-R at gmail.com. I love to hear from you. And with that, let's get started. Hey y'all, it's another Wednesday, which means another episode in the Gathering Springfield podcast. Thank you for joining me. I wanted to encourage you, if you haven't been able to go back and listen to the previous episodes, I think it's really important uh, as each one builds on itself. We're going to continue today uh, in our discussion about the glorious return of Jesus Christ Uh, just to set the stage and to remind us it is so important that we have a good grasp on this part of the gospel. The return of Christ is a vital part to the gospel message. It's a part of the gospel that has such a high value. In fact, Uh, In our ministry, it's one of our core values is to talk about the glorious return of Jesus and to really give ourselves to what's called the Maranatha cry, the cry saying, come Lord Jesus. Uh, We have a great expectation for that day and we look forward to that day, the, the, the Christian hope of the return of Christ and the resurrection from the dead. Last week we were able to talk about the resurrection and what that's going to look like. Paul gave us some great information. We started several weeks ago with what Jesus has to say about the last days and His return. Then we moved on to what the apostles had to say, starting uh, in Acts chapter one, and then we moved on to First and Second Corinthians. We read about what Paul had to say to the early church. In this episode and next week's episode, we're going to focus on what the apostles said to the early church, and then after that, we're going to move on to the book of Revelation and I'm really excited about that. Remember, it's not a book that you should be scared of. It's not a book that should be super confusing, but it is the revelation of Jesus Christ that he was given by the Father to give to the church and so it's going to be a really good time. A lot of fun going through and uh, verse by verse in the book of Revelation. Remember, the apostles thought it was important to talk about these things to the early church. Therefore, it is still important for us today. We're going to start in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and we're going to read chapter 4, verse 13, through chapter 5, verse 11. In last week's episode, there was a big focus on the resurrection. Paul, the apostle, explained what the resurrection is going to look like, what's going to happen to our bodies. He told us after the resurrection there's going to be a judgment. He gave us some pretty specific details, some black and white details. And in these next passages that we're going to look at today, we're going to read a little bit about the resurrection. But there are also some added details here that we see in First and Second Thessalonians. When it comes to settling our mind, what we believe about Christ's return and what the generation leading up to it is going to look like, the state of the world uh, is going to be like in those days. It's important to start with Christ and go through the apostles and go through the book of Revelation and to allow the scriptures to dictate what we believe and how we understand the return of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 13, I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed. (laughs) I'm going to stop right there. That statement in and of itself, I think, gives us some good information. Paul is saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about these things that I'm about to speak about. Think about that for a minute. Here we are today. How many of us are uninformed about the last days? How many of us are uninformed about what the world's going to look like in those days. How many of us are uninformed about the redemptive plan of Christ to come and redeem the earth? Paul is saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. It's one of my heart cries that we as a people would be informed about the plan of the Father to send His Son back to the earth and to redeem mankind. So let's be informed today. That's a good way to enter in to this study that we would be informed. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Remember, last week Paul talked about the resurrection. He's going to talk about the resurrection here as well. And notice he says that you don't have to grieve the way everyone else grieves. Well, why is that? If we lose a loved one who knows the Lord, although there's sadness with that, we still don't have to grieve the way the world grieves because we have a hope. Look what he says, about those who are asleep or who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. The Christian hope is the return of Christ and the resurrection. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen Asleep, For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep or who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. One reason it's important to have a good understanding about what the Scripture says about the return of Christ and the the resurrection is because these are the words that we encourage one another with, right? It's It's our Christian hope. So we can use this revelation as an encouragement to one another. But let's break this passage down. Notice verse 14 says, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. But yet, those who have fallen asleep or have died are going to be resurrected on that day. And then it says those of us who are alive are going to be transformed, that we're going to be caught up together with them. Whenever the dead in Christ rise, immediately following that, then we're going to meet them in the air. And when we read other scriptures, we can kind of understand what he's saying here. Paul says that whenever we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. So whenever we die, our spirit is with the Lord. Yet our body is in the ground. And one of the beautiful things about the return of Christ and the rapture is whenever He comes, He's bringing our spirits with Him. We are going to be with Him in spirit, but then He is actually going to redeem our bodies. Whenever Christ returns, those who are in heaven, those who die, who precede us in death, before He returns, they're going to return with Him. And their physical bodies are going to be raised to life, given a new heavenly body, as we talked about last week. Whenever Christ returns, those that He brings with Him, those who preceded us in death, are going to be given their new heavenly bodies. Whenever we die in the Lord, we're not given a new body at that time. We remain spiritual. Whenever He returns, then our spirit is going to be connected with a new heavenly body. It's kind of wild to think about, I know it, but a practical way to understand it is here right now while we're on this earth, we're in a body, but we also are a living spirit. Well, whenever you die, your spirit goes somewhere, but your body returns to the dust, returns to the dirt. But a part of the redemption story is that when Christ comes, He's actually going to redeem our bodies, and He's going to restore them and make them new. That's why the dead in Christ, whenever they rise, they're resurrected with a new heavenly spiritual body, and their spirit and their body are one. But then it says that those of us who are alive, we're going to be changed. Whenever we're changed on that day, our physical body is going to be supernaturally transformed from a physical earthly body into that heavenly body. So, dead in Christ rise, and their spirit, who is with the Lord in heaven, is united with their new heavenly body. In that moment, that's gonna happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And then, those of us who are alive are going to be suddenly transformed, and we're gonna meet Jesus in the air. This passage is explaining the rapture. Now, I know that the word rapture isn't in the Bible. Being caught up, being gathered together, that's what that word explains. That word explains the catching up, the gathering. And so whenever the saints gather in the air with Christ, that's the rapture. So Paul is explaining the rapture here. And some believe that the rapture is when all the Christians disappear on earth. They go to be with the Lord in heaven, and then after that, there's seven years of tribulation, and there's a lot of hardships then, and then someday Christ is going to come back after the tribulation. Only thing is, Paul doesn't say that here. Whenever Jesus comes on the clouds, he's coming to the earth. The saints are resurrected and are raptured to him, so obviously there is a rapture. Anybody who says there's not a rapture is not biblically accurate. But if they say that there's a secret rapture and Christ returns back to heaven and then later comes back to the earth, that's also not scripturally accurate. So when Christ returns, there's going to be a resurrection and a rapture. We're going to meet him in the air, and then from that point on, we will forever be with the Lord, but he actually returns to the earth. As we take this information in this puzzle piece of scripture, so to speak, and we put it together with the other pieces, we see the picture of whenever he comes and he resurrects and raptures the saints, then he returns to the earth and he establishes the millennial reign. And during that millennial reign, we rule and reign with him. But the point that Paul is saying here is be encouraged. Because we don't mourn the way everyone else, whenever we die, there's going to be a resurrection, there's going to be a rapture, and we're going to be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And Then he goes on to say in chapter 5, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need that anything be written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, which is what he just explained, when Christ returns, raptures his saints, the end of the age, you don't really need any new information. Verse 2 For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In last week's episode, we talked about this. Remember, the saints aren't surprised by the thief, but the wicked on the earth are surprised by the return of Christ. The wicked are the ones that are caught unaware. The saints are aware. The saints are looking for his return. They understand the season. They understand the times. And whenever Christ returns, they're not gonna be shocked that he returns. But the world and the wicked of the world, they will be unaware. In verse three, it says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So who is he talking about here? He's not talking about the saints. Those that he is coming like a thief in the night? That's the wicked. There's going to be a false sense of peace and security, which really is... The message of the Antichrist that he gives peace and he gives security to those who worship him and who follow him. And so, those who do worship him and follow him, they're going to be saying, Boy, life is peaceful, life is good. They're going to be dwelling in a sense of prosperity before Christ returns. While the righteous remnant, while God's people are going to be going through tribulation, the wicked are going to be saying, Hey, there's peace, there's security, but then sudden destruction is going to come upon them. So, whenever Christ comes, he's going to destroy the wicked on the earth. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief." This may be going against what you were taught growing up. Paul says that you're not going to be surprised on that day, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. Obviously, we need to sleep. What he's saying there is that we are aware. We're spiritually awake. We understand what's going on. Jesus told us that we should understand the times and the signs, the generation that we live in. And so we're going to understand that Christ is about to come because all these things that he said would happen is happening. Verse 7, For those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or whether we are asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing." Here's the point the Apostle is saying. He's saying that we're not destined for God's wrath. Stay awake. Stay alert. Be ready. Be spiritually ready and prepared verse 10 when he says who died for us whether we are awake or asleep that we might live with him What he's referring to is whether you have had a physical death or you're still physically living at his return, we're going to live with him because of the work of Christ. Now, I want to point out verse 9 where it says, God is not destined us for wrath. A dispensational premillennialist, commonly known as a pre-tribulation rapture believer, what they would say, they read, for God is not destined us for wrath, will say, well, see, we're not going to be here during the tribulation because he has not destined us for wrath. The only thing is, he hasn't destined us for His wrath, but He actually did tell us that He's sending us out as sheep among the wolves, right? Uh, he tells us very plainly that we are going to face tribulation. There's going to be persecution on the church like there's never been before. And so right here where it says God is not destined us for wrath, What he's saying is we have not been destined for God's wrath on the earth whenever he returns. Revelation tells us that whenever he comes, whenever he raptures his church, then he's going to pour out the bowls of wrath, and we are saved from God's wrath. The things that God's people experience in the Great Tribulation, that's not God's wrath on God's people. We're actually sealed. We're protected from God's wrath. But we do experience the wrath of the dragon or Satan. We experience the wrath of of Satan and the Antichrist that he pours out on the church. But that's the gospel story, that whenever the enemy is doing this, then Christ is going to return. He's going to save his people from the Antichrist, from the enemy, and he's going to pour his wrath out on the Antichrist, on the enemy, and his false prophet, and his followers. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-5, uh, 11 Uh, He gives us some black and white details, some very basic information that there's going to be a rapture, there's going to be a a resurrection of the dead, there's going to be a, a gathering up of those who are alive, and he tells us to be prepared, that we shouldn't be asleep and uninformed about this, but we should be ready, while the earth is going to be saying there is peace and security We know that there is obviously a false sense of peace and security. And then you continue to read 2 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians both really have some pretty important eschatology passages in it. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5, and then we're going to read down to chapter 2, verse 17. In these passages, Paul says that there's going to be a judgment at Christ's return. There's going to be a rebellion. He gives us some information about the Antichrist, about a great deception that's going to happen, and an encouragement to stand firm. So let's read it together. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. For this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Again, he says you're going to be suffering for the kingdom of God. You're not going to be suffering from God's wrath, you are going to be suffering. Verse 6, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, those who are afflicting His people, those who have afflicted His people, He is going to afflict. Verse 7, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. "...when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus." This is speaking about the rapture. This is speaking about when Christ returns. In 1 Thessalonians, he gives us some information about what's going to happen to the Christian, those who die and resurrect and those who are going to be changed. Now he's giving some information about the wicked in that day. Whenever Christ comes, he's going to give relief to the saints who have been in persecution and in tribulation, and he's going to save us from the tribulation, but then he's going to pour out wrath and vengeance On those who have afflicted his people. So he's going to come inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. Again, this isn't Josh's opinion. This isn't Josh's idea. This is what the Apostle Paul said by the inspired power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit tells us through Paul. He says, verse 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. "'Away from the presence of the Lord "'and from the glory of His might. "'When He comes on that day "'to be glorified in His saints "'and to be marveled at among all who have believed, "'because our testimony to you was believed.' To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. On that day, Christ is going to come and he is going to receive the glory and the honor due him. It says that he's going to receive glory through his saints. He's going to be glorified in His saints. And those who believe in Him are going to marvel at Him. Paul tells the Thessalonian church and the Holy Spirit tells us that whenever Christ returns, He is going to judge the wicked and he's going to be glorified in his saints whenever he saves them from the infliction. Now, this would kind of go against, again, I'm going to harp on him a little bit. I got to hang out with my buddy this weekend who's a post-millennialist. I love him to death. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. He's a great guy, but man, he's a post-millennialist, and here I am a (laughs) pre-millennialist. But one of these days, you're going to actually get to hear him uh, on this podcast. I'm confident of it. But these are the type of things that I like to poke fun at him on because this passage says that when he comes back, that God's people are gonna be afflicted, that God's people is gonna need relief, and He's gonna pour out His vengeance and His wrath on those who have been afflicting His people. Well, post millennialism teaches that the world gets better and better and better, and that the whole world's gonna be Christianized before He comes back. The only thing is, if the whole world's Christianized at the end of the age, and we're living in a beautiful millennial kingdom state, the whole world is before He comes back, then He's not gonna to need to save us from anyone's vengeance. If Satan is bound, and the whole world's Christianized, then he's not going to have to come in wrath. Yet, the Bible says that whenever he comes back, he's going to come back with a jealousy for his people. He's going to save his people, but then he's going to be pouring out his wrath on the wicked who have afflicted his people during the tribulation. It goes exactly with what Jesus said is going to happen on that day. Again, if you're a post-millennialist, hear me out. I love you, and this is not an issue to divide on. Only thing is, I do think that there are some scriptural errors uh, with that teaching. It's encouraging, it just doesn't correlate with scripture. All right, let's keep going. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with Him, or raptured, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God." Now, he's going to start giving some more information about what that looks like and some more details about that, but let me just say here, this cannot be Nero. Some will say that, that the man of lawlessness is Emperor Nero who persecuted the church, and they'll say that the destruction of the temple is that abomination of desolation but Nero actually died before 70 AD. And so if the abomination of desolation is the Antichrist destroying the Jewish temple, and if Nero was the Antichrist, first off, that doesn't add up because Nero died a few years prior to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Also, Nero didn't make himself stand in the temple of God. He didn't take his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So Paul talks about there's gonna come a day that the man of lawlessness, also known as the Antichrist, or in Revelation, he's known as the beast, uh, the abomination of desolation. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24. Daniel talks about it in in Daniel chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 12. Uh, In Daniel chapter 7, verse 11, we're going to see some of this as well. Let's let's keep reading, and Paul's going to give us some more information. After Paul says there's going to be the man of lawlessness, he's going to rise up, he's going to exalt himself above God, he's going to do these things, verse 5, Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. See, the sovereign hand of God, the Spirit of God, is restraining him from manifesting in the way that he's going to in the last days. Verse 6, he's going to be revealed in his time. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So the spirit of Antichrist, that Antichrist spirit is already at work. The activity of Satan is already going on. We see that. We know that that Satan is is already at work. But Paul says that he who restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Here's what he's saying. That God is sovereignly holding back the Antichrist from rising to power, and he's going to do that until the appointed time for this man to rise up to power. And what's going to happen, God will sovereignly move out of his way and allow the Antichrist to rise up starting again at verse 7, "...for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming." Again, Nero cannot be the Antichrist. Adolf Hitler cannot be the Antichrist because Paul says... That the Antichrist, although there's an Antichrist spirit at work, God is restraining him until that time where he's going to be revealed, then he's going to get out of his way. The Antichrist is going to rise up. But then, at Christ's return, he is going to kill the Antichrist. He's going to kill the man of lawlessness by the breath of his mouth at his coming. Revelation chapter 20 talks about the millennial reign. Revelation chapter 19 tells us what's going to happen before the millennial reign. When Christ returns, he is going to kill the Antichrist. He's going to kill the false prophet. But that doesn't happen until he returns. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. Again, I'm, I'm going to have to say it, that if post-millennialism is correct, then this passage doesn't work. Because in the millennial reign, Satan is bound for a thousand years. He's not. A, he doesn't have the ability to deceive the nations anymore. But what Paul says here is the Antichrist has the power to deceive And it's by the activity of Satan. So if Satan is bound, then he wouldn't be able to give the power over to the Antichrist to have powers and signs and wonders to deceive the the nations. He deceives those, the Antichrist deceives those who refuse to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought Always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and believe in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loves us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. This passage here gives us very important details when it comes to Christ's return, the Antichrist, the resurrection. I want to point out a few things out of these passages in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians that we read that are really important when trying to figure out our eschatology and what we believe about the last days. One of them, the dead are going to be resurrected. We talked about that last week. They're going to be changed. Paul mentions it again in this passage. There's going to be a rapture. The saints who are alive after the dead are raised are going to be raptured and gathered to Christ. Another thing I want to highlight is that Christians will not be taken by surprise. The rapture isn't going to surprise us. You know, I grew up thinking that, oh, the rapture may come tomorrow. The rapture may happen this, this, this. But Paul says, look. The rapture is not going to happen until the Antichrist rises to power, declares himself God, there's a tribulation, and at the end of that tribulation, after those days, Matthew 24, then Christ returns and raptures or gathers his people. So Christians will not be taken by surprise at his return, but we should be prepared and aware of the times leading up to it. The ungodly, though, they will be surprised, and they're going to be living in a false peace and security. They're going to be marrying, given in marriage. They're going to be going about their business. Life's going to be good for them because they're following the leadership of the Antichrist because he has deceived them. But whenever Christ returns, they're going to be surprised and a great wrath is going to be poured out on them for afflicting his people. Another thing I want to pull out is that Paul says that there's going to be a great Rebellion against God he says in second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3 let no one deceive you in any way for that day Will not come unless the rebellion comes first next week We're going to talk about that a little bit more the passages. We're going to dive into really speaks about the rebellion uh, But there's going to be a global rebellion against God. There's going to be a departing from the faith before he returns another thing to highlight here is is that Jesus is going to judge the wicked of the earth with a severe judgment when he returns. Remember, he saves his people from persecution. He saves his bride from trials and being afflicted. At his return, he does that. Then he's going to slay the Antichrist, and he's going to judge the wicked, and he's going to destroy the wicked on the earth and send them into an eternal judgment. And the last thing out of these passages is Paul gives us some information about the Antichrist when he says that wicked man, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is going to rise to power, declare war against the saints, and Paul says that he is going to demand that people worship him because he's going to declare himself God above every other god. And he's going to persecute those who do not submit to his leadership. And he's going to perform false signs and wonders. He's actually going to be able to perform miracles and wonders. And so many in the world are going to look at this man and they're going to marvel at him. They're going to follow his leadership because of his miracles, his signs, his wonders, his deception, his peace his prosperity. But it's a false peace. It's a false prosperity. But he's going to have the power to deceive many on the earth in that day. And the false prophet is going to deceive people in that day. And he's actually going to lead people to worship the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness. And Paul says that this is by the activity of Satan. Satan is going to be giving this man power to do these things. As much as I hate to say it, that's all the time we have for today. This episode didn't necessarily end on a high note. It doesn't seem like it's super encouraging, does it? The only thing is we can be encouraged by what we read today because even though the Antichrist is going to rise to power, even though there's going to be tribulation of the saints, even though many in the world are going to be deceived, we can be encouraged in knowing that we have a hope in the midst of all of this. Christ, when he returns, gathers us to himself. And that is the Christian hope, the redemption of our bodies, the resurrection of the dead, and us remaining with Him. Remember the words of Paul in First Thessalonians chapter 4. We should encourage each other with these words, that the Lord Himself is going to descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ are going to rise first, then We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet him in the air, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words and that's what I want to leave you with. I want to encourage you as we study eschatology, as we study the return of Christ and the days leading up to it, let's take what Paul said in last week's episode about the resurrection. Let's take what he said about the return of Christ in this episode, and these passages, what he says about the man of lawlessness and let's let these scriptures be pieces of the puzzle that we start to piece together and put together so that we can have a good comprehension and a good understanding of the return of Christ those days and be encouraged because he's coming he's coming back and he's going to resurrect his people he's going to gather or rapture his people and we're going to be with him forever and ever so be encouraged by that father we love you we thank you for who you are i thank you that you gave us a hope whenever you ascended to the father that angel said that you are coming in the same manner in which you left and you're coming back in power you're coming back in glory and i thank you that we have that hope that we're going to be resurrected, that we're going to be joined together, we're going to be gathered together with you for all eternity. We will forever be with you and in your presence. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.